Color don't matter, no, I don't need leather seats. All that really concerns me is speed. How fast will it go? Can it get me over her quickly? Zero to sixty. Can it outrun her memory? Yeah, what I really need is an open. Welcome to Talking Giants, presented by SeatGeek. My name is Justin Pennick. My co-host, Bobby Skinner, is on vacation in Spain. Lucky him, but he is going to be joining me when we sit down with Dan Schneier of the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Also does some awesome stuff for CBS Sports as well. It's a yearly tradition. We always have Dan Schneier on right after the draft. He was really excited with the Deontay Banks pick. We basically talk about those three top 100 picks, and then we also project where this Giants offense is going to be, where the Giants defense is going to be, talk about some position groups and specific things like that. So um, obviously if you're a fan of the nitty-gritty football talk, especially Dan's a film guy, Bobby's a film guy, you're really going to enjoy that convo. It's it's always a good one. Uh, yesterday was the first day of OTAs. Uh, the Giants vets and the rookies, they're practicing and they're meeting up together for the first time. So we'll have a formal OTA kind of recap, hopefully with an interview on Friday, possibly with somebody that we haven't interviewed before on Talking Giants too. Maybe a little bit of a beat reporter, a little bit of a tease, don't want to promise anything, uh, but we'll be given an OTA recap on Friday. Some of the things that I'm looking out for, I'm looking out for who's wearing the green dot. Is it going to be Bobby Okereke? Is it going to be Xavier McKinney? John Michael Schmitz, we've talked about the dead snap versus the regular snap. What is he doing with Daniel Jones? What's, what's most comfortable for Daniel Jones? And then also kind of just in general, you know, Richie James was a player last year that started to stick out a little bit last year. He started to emerge a little bit. What are some emerging names? What are some guys that are maybe getting a getting run with like the second or first team that you usually wouldn't think that would be getting run during this time of year? Uh, and as we know, Richie James was an unknown name this time last year, but he became a big name for the Giants throughout the regular season last year. So those are three things that I'm keeping my eye out for. We'll talk about it on Friday um, with kind of like a little bit of an OTA recap. And before we throw it to Dan Schneier, we got to talk about SeatGeek because today's episode, they are sponsored by SeatGeek. And, you know, SeatGeek's also just a presenting sponsor of the show. That's kind of cool, kind of awesome. Thanks to SeatGeek for being them and doing what they do because they are a bunch of seats that provide geeks. That's right said that right didn't say it wrong if you do if you don't know what SeatGeek is they're a ticketing app that makes buying tickets super simple no they do not sell geeks with over 28 million downloads SeatGeek they are the number one and only one rated ticketing app that exists in my life there are more than 70,000 events that's a lot of events maybe you can go to a few every day but you can't go to all of them 70,000 events every single day on SeatGeek including sports concerts festivals and so much more they always want to make sure that you're getting a good deal so click on the green dot Click on things that are green. Don't click on things that are red unless you are willingly want to spend more money because red means a bad deal. Every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee, and SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of time with swaps. That's fantastic. We've got the hookup. Use code GIANTS for $20 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with, purchase with promo code GIANTS. Click the link in the description to download the app. And here is Dan Schneier. Come on, pay attention in there. Let's go. We got a beautiful day. Work. Play fast. Play fast. 
Whoa! Ah. All right, we're now welcome on to the program our good friend Dan Snyder, Big Blue Banter. I think what this is every year we've done the show we've had you on post draft. Dan, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here, but I'm also happy that I just got to spend two weeks off from work. Well, a week and a half. I worked through one of the weeks, but a full week off from work uh, out west. Saw my boy Nick out there in Arizona. Then I went out to the Grand Canyon and a little bit of time in Las Vegas. So good time. Ooh. I'm happy to be back, though, and talking some Jack yeah, football again. Yeah, you got some, some nice time away. Uh, Grand Canyon is definitely one of those things I, I want to hit one day. Um, did you hike through it or just kind of, uh, you know, went, went to it? We won't spend too much time on this, but oh, oh, did I hike through it? We, uh, <laughs> me and my family, entire family hiked through it. My brother, my dad and mom who are in their sixties, we did a hike all the way down into the ridge and like it, it was intense. There's a, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but let's just say my dad barely made it back up and told me that as he was going through each switchback on the way back up the mountain he was like it was like going through each of the seven rings of hell for him so <laughs> it was it was quite an quite a day well it sounds sounds very enjoyable especially for your dad yeah. um everyone knows we'll, we'll 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 plug all that stuff at the end i we're gonna jump right into it um and this is a, a great way to start this off with some good vibes what pick in the draft just gave you the most initial excitement? And I feel like there's, I think there's like four like possible answers for this all the way up into like Eric Gray. Like which pick gave you that most excitement? Dan? Yeah, for me, it's always going to be somebody, if this is applicable, that landed on like a my guys list. And for me, when I watched through the film and, and studied all these players pre-draft, one of my guys was Deontay Banks. So the ability to get him in round one, I, I looked at this draft beforehand and I just thought in my mind that both Banks and Porter, who I, you know, have learned since the Giants weren't really interested in, don't don't really think maybe fits what they want to do defensively from a schematic standpoint. Those were the guys I was like, if any, if either of those two are there, I'm just going to be very happy with how round one went. But Porter didn't actually make the my guys list. I was a little lower on him, but Banks is just a player who I feel like brings a level of athleticism to that cornerback position that they have not previously had. You can probably make the argument that um, Adoree Jackson is as athletic in some ways, but he's an older prospect with an injury history. Deontay Banks is coming in fresh and I know he's had some injuries, so I don't mean he's had no injuries, but he's coming in fresh. He's got everything you want from, in my opinion, just the athleticism standpoint, the explosiveness, but then you watch him and you're like, and I saw you did a great breakdown on him, by the way, Bobby, maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago now, but you can see that there's going to be like a learning curve for him. And that goes for that. Like people are expecting sauce Garner. Don't expect sauce Garner ever again. Only really. sauce like, Garner, is sauce Garner. <laughs> Yeah, like, and Sertan did it to some extent too, but that was kind of system-based, in my opinion, playing in Fangio's scheme. But, like, when you're picking outside of the top five, don't expect that kind of production. So he may get picked on year one, and I'm not going to – there may be people who look, listen to this podcast and come back at me, Bobby and Justin, after year one and be like, how are you so excited about this pick? He was, like, such a bust. He was he was picked on. He was thrown at. He had bad games. But it's like it's not about year one for these corners. It's about year two, three, and really three and four, and can they evolve into that player that you then give the second contract to? And I have a lot of excitement about Banks' upside to be a, a, a corner but one for the Giants. Yeah, Damn. and we said kind of specifically talking about growth is end of year one. Like, what what, what is what is the trajectory at the end of year one? Because, again, I do think – and that's also, like, we have to adjust the Giants fans. Like, we're not picking top ten. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're picking, you know, in this case, tw uh, moved up one spot, but picking 24th. So you're not – you know, you, you are going to get some guys that might struggle right away, especially at the cornerback position, which is one of the hardest transitions from college to the NFL. And we would assume – 
we're not putting him in, you know, Pete Carroll's cover three defense, which is really corner friendly. Like they're probably going to put him in some man coverage and stuff and put some responsibility on his plate. Um, say what is like the area of improvement that like you've identified with banks that you think like you, you want to see the most growth in. I think he just, to me, he gets a little grabby. Well, there's the, the main area is I don't love him at the catch point. I think there's times that he just doesn't get his head around. I don't think he's ever going to really be that type of corner that's making six interceptions a year and jumping past like that, that style of cornerback. But I don't really care too much about that style of cornerback. Some of the best corners in the league don't have a lot of like high interception totals. Dory is one, yeah, one of those guys. I feel like Marlon Humphrey is one of those guys. Um, Jerry, Jerry Alexander, I know he's at up and downs, but he's kind of one of those guys. So like, what maybe getting a little better at the catch point, but I think the other thing is and you brought this up and I think you could see it whenever you watch him is he does, he did tend to get a little bit grabby and it's just such a difference between playing at the college level and the NFL level. Me and Nick, Nick and I talked about this a bunch during April. It's like you watch how they officiate corners at college versus the NFL. And it's just such a different, it feels to me at least like it's officiated so differently, the position. So I think there are going to be times if he plays the way he showed already at Maryland, that he's going to get flagged for holding. And so Basically, those are the two areas where I'm really looking at most improvement. But the good news is I feel very confident with this specific pit position group, as far as the position coach goes, mm. that the Giants can make a big jump there or, or can, you know, take a player and he can make a big jump under the coaching staff. Yeah, Jerome Henderson has certainly done it before with you know, guys with a lot less talent than yeah. than first round guys, and especially the athlete, too, in, in Deontay Banks. Now, something that you said a couple of minutes ago is, that you you know either you heard or you think that Joey Porter Jr. isn't necessarily the best scheme fit for maybe what Wink Martindale and let's include Joe Shane in this too. Joe Shane's the GM; he's scouting these guys to begin with. So I ultimately think I've I've rested. I'm I think your answer is going to be something along the lines of athleticism and this GM and this offense and defense. They like athletes. They like guys that are fast. And I know that's something you've talked about as the years have gone on too. But it's interesting to me because I still think in my brain, because of how long Joey Porter Jr. is, I still think like in my brain, you can I, I can you can make an argument that Joey Porter Jr. may be a better scheme fit than Deontay Banks. It's an argument. So why what did you hear? What's necessarily making you think and say that Joey Porter Jr. isn't a fit maybe for this Wink Martindale slash Joe Shane team? It's nothing I heard, Justin. It's just a matter of like if they if I felt like they had those two pretty highly rated around the same line i just don't see why they would ever trade up from 25 to 24 in their mind they could just sit at 25 and get that player i feel like it would, it would have been similar in round three if they didn't have jalen hyatt above some of the other receivers who were taken around that range or after him or where the giants were originally selecting i should say at 89 so it's mostly based on that but i think you nailed it with the first part like the speed is the is the mm -hmm. big factor here if, if what bobby said comes true which i think it will which is like this is not going to be the most corner friendly scheme for a rookie and he's going to be banks is going to be on an island a lot you need to have that recoverability you need to be in my opinion like a sub four four type athlete i always say this to nick on the show there's i i hate the 40 yard dash i think it's the stupidest thing for every position but corner i act and and not necessarily as much receiver i really think you can dictate more at that position you can use your like your your head your legs to kind of set defenders up but when you're in a backpedal when your job as corner is what it is you need to have that ability you need to have that raw speed to recover so it's probably the only position where i actually do care about that and i didn't care about that with deandre baker and i think thought that was being overblown. And I know there were other issues with Baker from a mental standpoint. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't really do a good job picking up uh, Betcher's scheme in year one. But at the same time, I felt like that was also an issue for him at the NFL level, just raw speed and the ability to recover. Yeah, and the ability to recover, like with the change of direction stuff, obviously is where I think if you're comparing Banks and Porter, like that's where Banks has like that clear 
um like uh that is clearly ahead of porter in that um while we're talking about fast guys hyatt it's kind of crazy you know i've repeated this line people were getting annoyed by it but the giants got three players who are mocked to them at 25 with the first three picks now i think the fact that jalen hyatt was mocked there is wild um but the reason he was is that just raw, unfiltered speed. So I think most of us are like, hey, at 73, I'm thrilled. You know, at 25, I would have been disappointed. Um, what are kind of your thoughts on Hyatt and kind of similar to Banks, maybe like some areas where you want to see him improve? Yeah, for me with Hyatt, it's interesting. I feel like they're making a bet on, once again, their own coaching staff and their own ability. And some people might be like, oh, that's coaching hubris. But like, sure, it, it, you can you can make that case. But this coaching staff has done a really good job, at least through one year of, you know, acting on what they're saying they're going to do. They've done it. Like, think of them as some of the players they've brought up to speed really fast from Nick McLeod to Isaiah Hodgins. So from that standpoint, I got to have my confidence in this current staff as well. I won't have that in every staff, but this staff. And so they're going to they're basically telling us, like, look, we understand that he didn't do a lot on tape at Tennessee, but don't worry about that. That's not what he was asked to do. And we have a different we have a different plan for him and we think he can get up to speed with that. But if you're asking for just like things that I'm looking for from Jalen Hyde that I maybe didn't see when I watch him at Tennessee, the biggest one for me by far away is his catchability because that was the biggest concern for me when I was evaluating him. Nick and I did a podcast on him. Neither of us wanted him in round one. We also preferred Cedric Tillman, though. I said I w- would prefer Hyatt for this system because I, I I don't want to get too into this, but I, I'm just kind of done for now with the Tillman types for Daniel Jones until I, until I see it work. I, I'd rather have these separation type receivers. So when it comes to Hyatt and, and the fit, I was like, we were talking about it and we're just like for a receiver who's as small as he is and, and wins with speed the way he does. I would like to see a little bit more post catch. Like you watch Zay Flowers, and if you watch Flowers and you watch Hyatt, you'll see someone who does a much better job, in my opinion, in the open field. And I felt the same way with Tyler Scott, who went a, a bunch later. And I know he's a really raw prospect, so he dropped in the class and he's smaller. But they almost look like running backs to me when they're in the open field, Flowers and Scott. And I felt like with Hyatt, it was just he's running a deep over, or he's running the vertical route tree. And once he gets the ball in one of those deep overs, he just plants and tries to get vertical immediately and so i kind of want to see a little bit more creativity in the open field and and that could i think could lead to big plays for him based on his speed justin are you muted or not am i now all that high tech all that high tech at john boy and we can't even get you this stupid disco room and a (laughs) it's a whole it's a whole it's a whole other rant and story for for another day but um i almost (laughs) feel like when, when you when you talk about Hyatt in that way. It almost reminds me of Slayton throughout his first three years in the NFL, where I mean, you look at the advanced numbers, yards, you know, yards after the catch, you know, over expectation. And Slayton was just really bad in those categories. And then he was even, he was fine this year. I don't think he was an advantage, but I think he just benefited from being schemed wide open and, you know, him having that speed and, you know, being beneficial after the catch. But I, but I do agree with you about, you know, that, that is valuable. That's a valuable asset asset that you need um, in the NFL for sure. Bobby, or can I, can I move to Waller and can we just stick with speed? Like this is just what we're talking about this podcast so far speed, speed, speed. Well, that's my question right there about the offense. Like, and I I view this like this is why like I'm actually excited we get Dallas Week One because I think to make the playoffs you got to split with Dallas. How do you expect this offense to look differently schematically? Like, I think there is like we've coaches. A lot of coaches say we you know we scheme to our players, not our scheme, and it's a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) Like you have your scheme, you run it. But we've seen with this coaching staff that. 
they essentially changed three times throughout last season where they started where they were running more of what they were doing in Buffalo, long developing stuff, and it didn't work outside and the running game worked, and then they got into more of that under center, two tight end play action. Um, and we're very run heavy, and then that started kind of getting figured out. They were play actioning on second and twelve, and then they fix uh changed to some more drop back quick game. Uh but now they added Hyatt. They added Darren Waller. They added Paris Campbell, where they're a much faster team than they were last year, where last year they were just a slow team out of outside of Darius Slayton. What are some things that are you are looking for to be different schematically on offense to start the season? Yeah, I want to see them use more of the three by one sets with Darren Waller as the one, because that's something we saw a little bit with Kafka in Kansas city when he was working with Andy Reed, with Kelsey. And even at times I was looking back and stable did a little bit of that with Dawson Knox as well. And I just think that gives you a nice advantage to have Darren Waller there isolated as kind of basically your ex receiver. The only one on this, in my opinion, the only one on this team besides Isaiah Hodgins. And even with Hodgins, I feel like there's probably a little bit more upside with Waller in that role, I guess, than Hodgins. And when you do that, you can come out with 12 personnel and it's not really 12 personnel. Like you'll have Daniel Bellinger on the field, but is it really 12 personnel when Darren Wall is your ex receiver? And I feel like that's going to give them a little bit of an edge, but I do ultimately want to see a lot more 11 personnel. I'm always a big 11 personnel guy. I've been that way for a while. 12 personnel is fun. It worked for the Giants. Like you said, um, some of those defenders game, right? And it's like, how, how are the Bears falling for the same thing over and over and over again? It's just a super undisciplined defense. But on the flip side, if you want to talk about where the Giants evolved to, like you said, in that third phase, um, you look at the Vikings game and the Packers game where they had their most success. And those are were against two defensive coordinators that really just were struggling hard last year. I mean, those defenses were not on the same page and it led to a ton of crazy breakdowns in that game that made no real sense. And you know, it's I don't want to take away credit for what the Giants did, but I think they have to evolve the, the passing game a little bit from that. So what I'd like to see a little bit more of is Slayton and Hyatt both on the field at the same time, opposite sides of the field. Because one thing that I noticed throughout watching tape last year, and I brought this up to Nick a bunch was besides Darius Slayton, there was literally no respect paid for any of the wide receivers Not as far as on the line of scrimmage goes. Like when Slayton started to get going a little bit at the end of the year, you would see those corners start to line up 10 yards off the ball. But Outside of him, that just wasn't the case. So if you get both on the field eventually, and we'll see how you know how far, how how fast I should say, high it gets up to speed. No pun intended. But if you get both on the field, you might see a little bit more off coverage. You might see a little bit of what we've been hoping for for like years. I feel like watching this team, which is just safeties pay some respect to like the potential for the Giants to throw over the top, and that will open up space in the middle of the field for Darren Waller. Any concern? In, in the back of your brain, you know, now this is the second year of Mike Kafka, Brian Dable. There's an entire year on tape and on film of some of their tendencies and what they do. Now, I'm really glad that they added the speed element this offseason. And I'm in a way, it's good that they were that they literally cannot get worse in the explosive play department. <laughs> right. Um, so it's not that they showed way too much on tape. Right. But is there any kind of concern of the league figuring you out? Because, you know, you see a lot of times where coaches kind of come onto the scene, schemes come onto the scene, the league kind of figures you out, and maybe you come back down to earth a little bit. Any concern yeah. of that? That's a great question, Justin. I mean, look, we I know not every Giants fan is going to want to hear it, but I tweeted about this a, a couple weeks ago. I'm not as concerned about our quote, the Giants quote unquote tough schedule as I am about what you just said, Justin. That's my number one concern for the entire 2023 season. And then look, some people call me a hater for that. I don't really care. 
that's something real. Like you brought it up when you, when coaches have, they I've, I've heard from some people, I don't know. I don't think this is like a true number or anything. And maybe you've heard about this Bobby and Justin, but like eight games, supposedly it's eight games on film of a system of a, of a quarterback. And that's when coordinators have enough work, uh, you know, have enough to adjust around. But I just look at like the example we have the Eagles, right? The Eagles played the giants three times last year. When we got to that third game, man, that was really, really bad on tape for what the Eagles defense did to the Giants offense. Like there were zero answers. The Giants offense said, you want to run this stuff like we the Giants ran against Minnesota where they get Barkley to the perimeter and he has that long touch and run. No shot because every single time the defensive backs are crashing down, they were sitting on every single quick passing game route. They're paying zero respect to the deep middle, zero respect to the, either the deep, obviously the deep outside the numbers. There's no respect paid in general right now, at least last year. So there is definitely some concern that defenses will continue to play the giants that way. But the good news is like, I thought about that a little bit more, even just saying it right now, it's like not every defense is going to have the talent the Eagles had. So yeah. you would hope that like, even if teams do start to figure out what the giants did schematically, what Bobby said earlier, which is the giants already proved at least this step, they can adjust. They did three different style of offenses last year. I mean, just think about the run game. It felt like almost every week they were introducing new things to their run game. Even little wrinkles to the passing game, like toward the end of the year, we would see Bellinger lined up as like an H-back and release into a wrap. So I have enough faith in the coaching staff to overcome it, but I do think there will be matchups where it's like Eagles, for example, they have a lot of film on what Kafka and Dable want to do, and they have a lot of talent on that defense, and they're going to be probably playing the Giants the exact same way they played in the playoff game. I don't see any reason for them not to. And those are the games where I'm most concerned, like what can the Giants do to beat that? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what become their staples. You know, like Mesh was was a big staple for them on third down. And then they kind of changed their stick concept last year where Saquon was the flat in that. And that's how James Bradbury intercept had that interception in the playoff game. He knew exactly what they were running, baited it to like give Jones one look and then goes and undercuts the the curl route from or the stick route from uh from Darius Slate. And obviously we know Bradbury is a very cerebral player. Um, so you give him any tendency, he's he's the type of guy to take advantage of it, but still like the other coaches. So it'll be interesting to see what their staples are, and especially on third down. All curls was was a big one when mm-hmm. they were converting third and fifteens. Which is ironic, by the way, right? Because it's what we killed the Giants for under Jason <laughs> It like worked a little bit under these guys. That's the frustrating thing, is like all curls can work as long as like that's not the only thing you're putting yeah, on tape. Yeah. Um, like it's it can be a great third and long play if it's not what your first and ten and second and five play is too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what their staples become because they're obviously going to introduce and bring some of those uh, Buffalo concepts that are more long developing and the stuff that Kansas City likes to do. Waller really is the the huge like X factor, not the yeah. X factor, like the main factor. It's like there's so many different things you can do with him in the receiving game. But also, you kind of have to scheme around him not being a great blocker, which you talked about 12 personnel. Let's just pretend everybody stays healthy. Mm-hmm. Who gets a higher snap share, wide receiver four or Daniel Bellinger? I would say wide receiver four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm worried about where Bellinger's place is on this team for this year, uh, which sucks because I think he's a great prospect and a great player. I just. H back. I... H back is cool. Like, but that if they want to do that, like that, we saw a little, like I said, we saw a little bit of that last year. But I just feel like any offense at its best has three receivers on the field at once. And then it's like, can you consider Darren Waller a receiver? Maybe. But if they can get some of these guys up to speed, especially Jalen Hyatt, there just seems to me, it seems to me like their best bet is to have the three or three of that group on the field. I don't know which ones that will be. It'll probably mix and match based on the defensive looks, obviously. But 
I just don't think you live in 12 person. Like, I don't think the best offenses really ever live in 12 personnel. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, all injuries are going to answer yeah, a lot of questions. Yeah. Like, right. It's just, it just happens. Um, but we just, we recorded our 53 man roster um, episode. And it's like, there's just like, there's kind of a lot of bodies in this wide receiver room right now. Um, and it's like, where does Sterling Shepard even like, what is the plan for Sterling Shepard where mm-hmm. we put him on that? We're just like, we're just in this world of everyone healthy. It's like, kind of got to cut Shepard because he adds no special team value. And like, what's the plan? Right. What's the plan for this guy above of these other five locks, depending on where Wandale is uh, health was. Um, so we talked a lot about the offense. I want yeah, to go back to defense. The, yeah. Well, I want to go back to the draft. Ooh. Let's talk about John Michael Smith. I mean, that's the happiest <laughs> yeah. I've been with a pick in a, nice. in a long time to get a guy who, I mean, I thought he was the best center uh, in the draft. Had some, I, I think some of the best offensive line film in the whole draft outside of maybe Skaronski, but just doesn't have like the Broderick Jones, Paris Johnson athletic profiles and play the tackle position. Um, how big of was that? Like, what was your reaction to that? Getting a guy who's like, Maybe the only plug and play center uh, in the draft. Yeah, I, I was definitely Tippman over over Schmidt's guy, though. I did have Schmidt's as my center one. I thought he was the best center in the class. I just personally would like to bet on the traits of Tippman over a player like like Schmidt's when it comes to center. For center and linebacker, for me, I I am more, and this is probably to a fault, but I am more of like a traits projection based guy because I just feel like a lot of these centers like over the years I always mention the name to Nick on the podcast which he thinks is so funny but like Matt Hennessy was a guy who's like hyped up super to Giants fans I was like this dude is never going to be more than any any average kind like he can be an average center in the NFL but what does that get you like the Giants have had average center play in my opinion the last two seasons I thought Feliciano was pretty average and, and Gates love him but I thought he was pretty average so to get that next level of center play I was kind of looking for more of a traits based prospect, but when it comes to John Michael Schmitz, like you said, he had some of the best film in the class he, at, at the big 10 level for what he did. Now, who knows how it will translate? That's a, that's a question mark, but he did at least go against some of the, you know, some nose tackles who were drafted, Mozzie Smith, Keanu Benton, but at the big 10 level, he was a dominant player. Can he be that at the NFL level? I'm hoping so, but I still love the pick overall because of more, most importantly for me, it's showing that you are invested in protecting what I think is the most important area for Daniel Jones, the interior offensive line. Obviously the giants already have potentially two solutions on, on the outside, but for the type of offense they're going to run and for the type of quarterback, I think Jones is going to be, he needs more of a short thing under, uh, under center, especially when it comes to what the Eagles and Cowboys did. That's what really made me feel like, and I hate to do needs based drafting, but I don't, I feel like at, at that level, it's not a needs based pick. I always said with, when it comes to uh, JMS or Titman, I didn't want them at all in round one. I thought that would have been a terrible pick, but if you took them at like 50 between 50 and 60, that's what I said. I would have been good with it and I would have been happy with it. So it kind of got him in the range. It's not like the most thrilling pick for me. I, I like Be- Deontay Banks pick a lot more. Obviously I mentioned that earlier, but I'm happy with what they did there. And more importantly, I'm happy that they kind of combated what the division's doing. Just so I, I just want this for my mind. Like yeah. I don't even know if the listeners care. Who did you mock to the Giants at twenty five? Did you do like a mock we, right before we the draft? did a seven? We did a full seven round mock draft. I had Banks because I got he fell in the mock. I did. Oh, nice, good job. Yeah, um, I got lucky with that one. I think Nick actually had John Michael Schmitz in round two, so I think we we both nailed one and two. There good you go. job, guys. Our problem is we do like more. I, I know mean, I you do a, bunch. a one. We we no we we do as like a not doing what we think will happen what we want will happen oh, so like, okay um i was i was very much a can't guy despite some of uh you know the the arm length and and weight stuff with him 
Um, and I was, I was just trying to speak that into existence. I was, I knew someone was going to take him before 25, but I was trying to speak yeah. that into existence. I was going to say, I'd heard before the draft from someone I trust that he had no chance of making it to the Giants from what they said. And they said yeah. the same about Bijan. So, and they were right about both of those, those guys. What were you, did you have John Michael? Did either of you have, that was my question for either of you. Were, were either of you a big fan of JMS at 25 or were you happier in round two? No, but I also okay. thought he wouldn't be there at 57. So okay. like, that was maybe one of my prayers for the draft was like, may, hopefully JMS could fall to 57. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't have taken him in the first. I don't think he has the foot speed and he's 24 years old to yeah. be a first round center. Um, I think to be a first round interior offensive lineman, you kind of got to be like last year's class where you got Zion Johnson, Kenyon Green, even though, but, I mean, it's also I noticed last year, all rookie guards struggle. Like I, I didn't. Know. Maybe maybe last year was an outlier, but I didn't realize no. how much rookie guards struggle when you look at like the numbers and stuff. And then Linderbaum, I wasn't as high on as everyone else, but at twenty five, I would have been um, cool with that too. Which I think is exactly where he went to the Ravens. Yeah. Um. So I I I, I, I don't think he had the foot speed or the and being twenty four years old is somewhat of a knock to. I just thought there had been better players there at twenty five. Um. But at fifty seven, I was thrilled. Um, let's talk about defense now. Safety, yeah. they, they, because they, you know, were you use some draft capital. They, you know, weren't able to add uh, an edge, and that's why they brought O'Shane Zimmerman back. weren't able to add a, a linebacker. Um, obviously they got Okereke in free agency, but safety they did add one guy with their last pick in Javarius Owens. But it seems like the four safeties they have outside of Xavier McKinney are very much different types of players. What do you see happening, you know, uh, with the safety spot next to Xavier McKinney? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting situation that's going to come down to matchups and it's going to come down to a bunch of different guys rotating in depending on the down and distance. And I think Bob McCain was probably brought into play as close to the Julian Love role as anyone on this roster can or will. But I don't think it's going to be the exact same role it was last year. Like Nick was a huge fan of Julian Love. I wasn't as big a believer in bringing him back, but biggest reason why he loved him so much was because of all the different hats he wore and how dependable he was for the Giants last year. And that I don't think McCain will be that, but I don't think you need him to be that. The guy that I have my eye on, and I know a lot of Giants fans have like in some ways given up on him because he didn't play a lot down the stretch. But Dane Belton, I really the thing with Dane Belton is think of how different we all would have viewed his rookie season if those three near interceptions and they were really close to being interceptions all three of them were actually interceptions and they and he came down with them and then you look at the statue and he has three interceptions added to his total we would have thought like oh my god this is this could be a fifth round steal like we just got a guy who's a, a ball hawk and i feel like with dane belton one thing i like that he brings to this defense that i don't think any of these other safeties maybe ha can bring to this defense right now with the exception of xavier mckinney is that ability to kind of figure out where the quarterback wants to go with the ball. And at times, oftentimes like bait him into throwing into a certain spot and then make the play on the ball or try to be, you know, have those ball skills to potentially make the play on the ball. And so I think Dane Belton is going to be a much bigger factor than people realize or people think he's going to be right now. And that's kind of one of my favorite picks for the year. And I'm also just thinking of safety, Bobby and, and Justin, I'm thinking about like where Xavier McKinney is going to play in year two of this defense, because we saw toward the end of the year and maybe it was matchup based, but he started to finally like do what I was hoping he would do more of, which is like match up with those tight ends. Cause I just don't love having our other, the giants, other options over the slot, kind of like having McKinney their best. But now it's like with love gone, are we going to see him play a little bit more of the type of role he played uh, in, in the last system? Like with Patrick Graham, is he going to play a little more single high? Is he going to play the deep half more? And so I'm very curious to see how they use McKinney, but I think depending on where they use McKinney, 
is going to is going to kind of dictate which of those other safeties are going to be on the field. Yeah, the safety position outside of McKinney, like you don't, there's not a ton of confidence in there. Belton is a player I just have a hard time getting a read on, um, and what his role is. Um, it's kind of like a fun bad position to me because McKinney is a guy you can do different things week to week with him. Where you know there's weeks last year where they had him, you know, playing the the box only and covering Christian McCaffrey and man coverage, and then there was weeks where they had him as a single eye safety, and then they did some you know split safety stuff towards the end of the year where so you can move him around and then the other guys like you said like it truly could be a, a week by week like different player in that spot depending on what McKinney's trying to do even though someone's gonna solidify themselves as the starter hopefully um do you think so yeah. it's real life where like wink martindale will look at a specific team and and look at you know even jerome henderson too they'll they'll approach a specific game plan in the secondary being like we want Xavier McKinney to do this. So then the rest of our secondary and the and especially the rest of our safety room is going to do this. We want Xavier McKinney in the box. We want him defending tight ends or we want him covering a running back. So therefore, Bobby McCain, you're going to be that deep safety. You're going to be in coverage. Yeah. Or we want McKinney deep, pin out, or somebody else in the box, Javarius Owens in the box. Do you think that's real life? Because I, I really want, and I think the Giants need Xavier McKinney back making plays that actually show up in a box score, whether it's pass deflections, mm. interceptions, the shine defense didn't get any interceptions last year. So is that kind of scenario that I painted? Is that real life or is that kind of just like fan fiction? Yeah, it's, I don't think it's fan fiction. I think that's how they're going to do this. Like they, they have to mat, they have to base it on the matchups, but as far as like McKinney getting back in the box score, like that was the role he had in, in Patrick Graham's defense made it. Perfect. So yeah, for it was perfect to an extent, but like, Yes and no for me, because like I also don't know if there's anyone on this defense that can do anything close to what he can do from a matchup standpoint over those big slots, like yeah. what he did with Hawkinson. And like, so it's like it's perfect, but they kind of need two McKinney's. They need somebody who can play the deep path and make plays, but also match up against these tight ends because I don't want Darnay Holmes doing that. Like Bobby McCain, I think will play a lot because I think he can also kind of play over like the nickel role over the slot. But it's like I don't really even think he's that good in that role either. So it's a tough spot with McKinney because a lot of fans are like, was he even good last year? Like no box score stats. But like when you play all those roles in the defense and you're in the box, like you're not going to, like you said, you're not going to have as many box score stats, but it doesn't mean you're not playing. It doesn't mean you're having as much of an impact in the game, but to be fair, like you guys watch the tape, you guys would probably agree. Like McKinney was a better player in 2022 or 2021 than he was in 2022. And I, I think a lot of that probably was a mental thing coming back from that injury and just one. And then before that, just trying to get accustomed to the different roles he's playing in the defense. Wearing yeah, the green dot, too. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I'm excited to see if they maybe give that to Okereke. Also, like in that beginning of the season, you they were give they were shading him a lot towards uh Fabian Moreau. Um, and kind of where the year before they had two guys on the outside they trusted in Bradbury and Adore. And they and they use him in they week two versus the Panthers played almost exclusively down low covering Christian McCaffrey. Um, but that was cool to see it now. Dallas Goddard. Um <laughs> South Dakota, um, punch him in the face. Dallas Goddard bought him in that playoff game, but outside that, I thought McKinney played um pretty damn well last year. Like you said, despite the box scores. What schematically on film did you see for the reason the Giants got no interceptions? That's a good question. It could be like I'm trying. I, I'd have to think about that a little bit more. Um, thinking about like I'm just thinking right now. 
about Baltimore's defenses under Wink Martindale and if they were turnover heavy. My guess is they weren't. I feel like they weren't just from memory. Even the year, like, remember the year they had all those dudes healthy, all three of those corners healthy for that, like, six, eight-game stretch, and they got injured. But, like, during that stretch, they were, like, the best defense. No one could move the ball against them at all. There was, like, no solution for beating them. But I feel like even during that stretch, and someone correct me if I'm wrong listening, but I don't think they had a lot of turnovers. I think it was more so just they didn't give up points and they didn't give up first downs. I think um, they're more of a forced fumble defense. That's yeah. my that's my guess. Sure, I didn't mean turnovers. I meant interceptions for sure. Yeah, the Giants I... definitely can get forced fumbles with, with what yeah. they've got on the defensive line. But I don't really feel like the Giants are going to have much. Like I don't know if it was a schematic thing. Maybe it's that it's that they're playing a lot of man coverage. I'm not sure. I don't know if it was a schematic thing or more so just like a personnel thing, right? Like we knew none of those linebackers were making any plays on the ball at any time in the passing game. So you just rule out interceptions there, right? Then the corners who were on the field, the Dory's supposed to have good ball skills. I feel like I haven't really, I love a Dory Jackson as a cover corner, by the way, and I love him in run support. But yeah. as far as like this big interception guy, I've never really seen him as that either. And that's going to be the same thing as I mentioned earlier with Banks. Like I love Banks. He was my guy, but I don't think he's ever going to be a high interception corner. I don't think that's the biggest, like that was the only knock I had on his game besides the grabbiness. Like it was just, does he get his head around? Does he make plays on the ball? So how do you do it? Maybe it's just what Justin said. You got to put Xavier McKinney more in the deep path and let him make the plays on the ball. But the other thing for me, as I mentioned before, I really think if you get Belton on the field more, that could lead to more interceptions because yeah. I think he's got a really good uh, uh, nose for the football. Yeah, I'm sure. looking at those numbers now. The Ravens uh, were fifth lowest in 2020 for interceptions. What were they? Also, they were... one thing, Bobby, like the, 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 just to get back on your question, it's like, the way the Giants system is like Wink Barndale's, they don't do a lot of like two eye safeties before the snap with the safety buzzing down. Like that's something I think Dwayne Dame Belton could do a really good job of, but that's not really a lot of what they do, or at least not of what I saw last year. So it's like, I feel like there's fewer opportunity. There were fewer opportunities for someone to make a play on the ball and make an interception. Also, I think a lot of times teams, when they, they know that they're going to be facing pressure, a team that's going to try and create pressure. So they're going to get the ball, try and get the ball yeah. out quick. And that's why, Hey, they they had lowest interceptions, but they were the highest in the NFL for completion percentage allowed. Um, or they were best in the NFL, but they had the lowest complete one of the lowest completion percentages allowed too, where teams are trying to get the ball out quick. And obviously that helps uh, you know, that helped Fabian Moreau survive. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and some other guys. Uh so it's it's gonna be interesting to see what type of different things happen. Uh, defensively, I don't think a you do lose Julian Love. I think it's a downgrade. I'm with you where I was. He was my unpopular let walk guy. Um, but they have this weird now after Okereke inside linebacker too. It's still scary. Hopefully yeah. the additions of Ashawn Robinson and Nunez Rochez help uh, help with that. But and then if Aziz or Kayvon go down, you're you are starting someone at edge who gives you zero pass rush production. Um, like Jihad Ward gives you nothing as a pass rusher and. Maybe the most insulting thing I've ever said about a player is O'Shane Zimenez is a pass rush specialist who doesn't rush the passer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. What just you got you got anything left? We're gonna save record prediction for the van at Fan okay. Fest. Okay, yeah. We gotta save that because the last time I made that prediction, I got it right. And I well, I did kind of got it right. I said nine and eight, and they were nine, seven, and one. But I'm I'm holding to fame for that because I was really appreciative when it, and I and I realized I learned at least uh, recently it was you, by the way, Bobby. I didn't know that you were the one running uh this the Twitter account for John Boy for Talking Giants. So credit to you because it's pretty awesome. Wait, am I not supposed to say that on here? I don't know. 
Oh yeah, yeah you could say okay. it. Yeah, 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 I don't know if we're gonna cut that out or whatever. No, um, you can you can get Nick me told all me that recently. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that he was running. I thought you guys, you know, all the all the fanciness of John Boy. I thought you guys maybe had a social media team running that account. Yeah, look but... at me right now. All the all the fanciness of John Boy. I'm <laughs> yeah, look at that I'm, background. I'm holding, You're in a I'm club. Holding, I'm holding a USB microphone with this background and lights <laughs> that are probably giving people a seizure behind me. So yeah, yeah all the fanciness so, I mean, of John maybe Boy. Too much. But I loved how that uh, the talking giants accounts we did out that I had that record prediction uh, midway through the season when it was like everyone else was like four and 12, four and 13. So uh-huh. we'll get to that there, but I'm going to save it for there. I want to get a better feel, but I guess the the one thing I want to talk about more uh, before, you know, before we get going would be how do you guys feel about right now, the run defense as it stands? Cause you just mentioned something interesting, Bobby, when it comes to like, if they have any injuries on the edge, but even if they don't have any injuries on the edge, I thought there were two, it was a two prong like reason why the Giants run defense was so bad last year. It was the linebackers. We weren't talking about the linebackers, but I just also felt like the way the Giants play that, the way they kind of line up their defenders with those three inside and the two on the outside, the two on the outside, I don't think they, even Thibodeau included, who was better at it, and I think he's even better while in pursuit, which is a different style run defense. I didn't think they did a great job of setting the edge unless Jihad Ward was on the field. Mm-hmm. So it's like that still remains a concern to me because the projected starters are, are going to be Thibodeau and Ojolari, assuming they can get through camp healthy, both of them. Do you feel like that could still be like the run defense could still be an issue despite everything they added on the interior and Okereke because they're still going to struggle at times to set the edge? I don't think it's going to be great, but I also think that Wink Martindale, there's nothing that eats up a defensive coach more than getting your ass ran on uh, consistently. So I, I do think there's just going to be more emphasis and they they couldn't take Dexter off the field. And when Leo was injured, it was really bad. I mean, you had Ryder Anderson out there who was just getting washed down. And then, like you said, they didn't have good edge setters where Kayvon has the ability to become a solid edge setter, but him and him and Aziz were both like guys who were going to work winning the run by disengaging, not setting an yep. edge. Um, and then the linebacker play was the worst I've seen covering this. So I think Okereke will be a huge upgrade, but Okereke is also not like a superstar linebacker either. He's a really good upgrade, but he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a good linebacker in the NFL, not a great one. Um, so inside linebacker two is going to be an issue. I mean, they got killed by every type of misdirection they got to where they would actually do halfway decent versus zone teams like the Minnesota Vikings yep. because uh, Dex was able to win up front and it's just a lot less reading for the linebackers where I I know teams can't change their whole run identity week to week, but I didn't know why teams like the Vikings or, or in zone run teams didn't be like, hey, well, we're going to become gap. We're going to pull guys this week because they are extremely vulnerable to this. Um, like it was, it was really, really bad to watch. Um, so yeah, it was, it was and he, yeah. when McKinney went down, so, uh, some of the I other safeties look- weren't great filling in the run. It yeah. was just, there were so many bad things that led to such like the worst run defense in the NFL yards per carry wise. And that's where I was going to, I was going to go to the secondary and I was going to point to the secondary. So, you know, I think Cordell Flott, guys like Cordell Flott, guys like Aaron Robinson, Deontay Banks not being a total disaster year one. I think that's going to be the element that helps out the run game the most because you have you you didn't add these interior defense alignment and you didn't add Bobby Okereke to be like, okay, we're going to add these guys up front and in the in the front seven for the purpose of taking guys out of the box. You added these guys for the purpose of we want to get back to stacking the box and we want to get back to loading up the box like Wink Martindale wants to do. So naturally, I would think bodies in the box is an advantage for a run defense, but where it's not an advantage, it's not an advantage for your pass defense. That's why you need the guys in the back end like McKinney. You need a Dory Jackson to stay healthy. You you need your CB2. You need your slot corner to all be healthy, kind of in sync with each other. So that's why I think those guys are so key. And the secondary is 
just as key as the guys up front doing a good job of stopping the run, but having the bodies down there like they want to, um, I, I think is is key as well. Yeah, I agree on that. And, and we'll have to see how they do it. It's going to be interesting. It's just something that remains a concern for me outside of like the, the general concerns. Like, can they set that edge? Because like you said, Bobby, they, I remember having previewing that Vikings game, that second Vikings game with somebody who watched a lot of the film on the Vikings, um, Sean Syed. And he was like, He's guy. yeah, he was like, yeah, it wouldn't because we brought up that exact same point. We're like, the Giants can stop zone. Like, why wouldn't the Vikings just run power? He's like, I feel like they've I've seen two or three plays total where they've pulled a guard at all this entire season. So it's like some teams just simply aren't run, aren't even practicing it. So they can't like I doubt in my mind, at least I doubt they can just go into a game and be like, let's run power and gap when we just like, let's pull this guy when there's been no reps and no kind of time. You know, they haven't had a chance to get the timing down at all in the run game. So I think that works the Giants benefit because I honestly feel like it'll be the same exact thing not exact thing, but I think we'll be the Giants will be better against zone teams again than they are against power and gap teams. Like, like you said, like one of the things I like about Okereke, I don't think he's a, a, like an all pro linebacker either. I feel like there's just not many of those in general in the NFL. So it's yeah. like, you can't expect that, but I do like how he is uh sideline to sideline. And it's funny because that was the trade I liked about Ogletree when they first brought him in, but he's a much better player than Ogletree. So like, don't think of that name uh, when it comes to like winning sideline to sideline, but that's something I felt like was a major issue for Jalen Smith last year or whoever they put in there at, on the inside, uh, you know, in that main Mike linebacker position. So at the very least, I think that will help them with some of those misdirection runs. Like the worst film I thought I saw, and I'm sure just to bring this up, because I think it was funny. Like, they could have ran for like 400 yards, but their their combination of of the back and the wide receivers just picked some of the dumbest holes I've seen. But the Jaguars game, like that was that was an eye opening game from a schematic standpoint and what the Jaguars did in the run game. And if if ETN and I think it was um, Zay Jones on one of them and one of the other dudes like didn't just pick some of the like worst holes I've ever seen, like literally like go straight. You have a touchdown. Now nah, let's go to the outside here. The Giants could have given like 300 yards that game. So hopefully Okereke will be able to help them in that regard. Which is kind of crazy. Like I did not forecast that at all for the Wink Martindale defense, despite the like same. So 2021 when Wink Martindale's last year with Baltimore, that defense was really bad. Worst pass defense in the NFL. They were still the best run defense. They were the best run defense in the NFL. Yeah. So I thought they would at least establish and they did. Towards the end of the year, they kind of moved into some more light boxes and stuff. But the beginning of the season, they did stack the box, and they did well versus the the Titans, who were a very yep. good run because the Titans were just running zone, zone, zone. Um, also, I think putting Tay Crowder, and again, this is this is the state of the Giants linebacker room last year, where it's like I am in no way saying Tay Crowder is good, but Tay Crowder going into the doghouse and then eventually being cut, like I do think that downgraded the room over Jalen Smith despite the fact that Tay Crowder stinks. You always have to put that disclaimer in there for people. Um, so please, God, don't let – because that's – as a football fan, that's the worst thing, just getting run on, run on, run on, run. I'm hoping they can sign someone before before the start of the season to put, just to just to compete on the inside, like similar to the signing they made, or even if it's week one with Jalen Smith, but just a better version of what Jalen Smith gave them. Um, I'm not sold at all on Micah McFadden, unfortunately. I Like very rarely do I watch a player in his rookie season and have like – uh, and and think it might go down from there or, or level out and just be that. that's what it is. Unfortunately for me with McFadden, that was one of the few guys I watched. And I was just like, I just don't think he has the NFL. Like the speed of this game, I think it's just too fast for him to ever be like somebody you want on the field often. Counterpoint, did you watch Dan Beavers in the first preseason game? Mm. Uh, 
I, I did back in the day, but I don't think I don't think I remember that <laughs> at all. But is that Darren, even, was, the best time to ever get injured from a PR standpoint is after oh, one preseason sure. game. Everyone's penciling just, him in as like this piece for next year. It's insane. This is a sixth round pick. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Coming off a torn ACL, yeah. and have, like the only old draft pick from the last class. And I actually thought Micah McFadden played better in that preseason game, but he just didn't have that big uh, tackle for a loss on the screen. I like him moving forward. I just like if that's if I don't trust you moving laterally, I don't know if I ever want you really on wins the field. in the phone booth. Yeah, yeah at linebacker. That's not what you want. You can't have wins <laughs> in the phone booth at linebacker. Like <laughs> not today's NFL, at least I don't think. I feel like you need to get yourself in passing lanes better. And but I think a lot of his issue was just aware. Like you, you saw at the game he was benched. Like I think I forgot which. What was the game he was benched in? Was it Houston or Detroit? Maybe it was one of the mid Who? middle of the season. McFadden. McFadden. Um, he came in the Seattle game. Yeah, actually, that was his best game when he started against Seattle. He got benched. Um. There was a game where he had like four plays in a row where it looked like he just didn't like the awareness was still an issue and he didn't get to the right spot. And then he just oh, we didn't see remember. him again that game. But and you then know, he got I'm benched for Jared about. Davis. At the right. End of year two. And that was also eye opening. Like who brings in a guy off the street and starts him for the playoff game like over over your rookie linebacker. It's not, he was a not. massive upgrade. We're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but this guy that actually plays forward. Temper the expectation on the word massive there. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dan, where can uh, everybody find uh, find your work? Yeah, thanks a lot again for having me on. Love talking football with both of you guys. We'll, we'll definitely be meeting up in the preseason at some point. Hopefully, same thing as last year, where I get to go into that van, get myself a nice piece of candy, and then make my winning prediction. And hopefully, I nail it again. I'm very, still very excited and proud about that. But you, you didn't find predict all... the tie. I got. I, I didn't predict the tie, so it really, uh, it's not perfect. But I predicted nine wins at least. So we we did something there. More importantly, uh, freezing cold takes shouted me out later in the year for that because uh my one well, not my boss but the the you can find me on fantasy football today cbs sports by the way is one of the podcasts i'm on and the, the host of that adam azer quote tweeted me when i made my nine women prediction it was like this is the dumbest take dan has ever had and he's a giants fan too so i love that but find me on fantasy football today or you can find giants content and giants talk on big blue banter that's the name of the podcast it's me and nick filato you can find that on youtube under big blue banter on Spotify, Stitcher, all those good things under Big Blue Banter. Um, we're on Instagram as well. Obviously, uh, you know, trying to expand there. So definitely give us a follow if you like to talk about the Giants and if you like the X's and O's. No doubt. We've been having you on since we started in 2019, and uh, we'll continue to do it. Dan, appreciate you as always. Uh, we will talk soon. Hey, Sean, you better hope I never get back in there. I will kick your All right, thank you once again to Dan Schneier for coming on the show. Like I said at the top, we're going to try and have an interview on Friday to kind of give like an OTA kind of kind of recap and roundup for you a little bit. We'll hopefully have some things to talk about with this New York Football Giants team that's substantial. And with the start of OTAs, it means that we are one event, one day, one thing closer to actual real football. So we'll see you on Friday. And until then, let's go Big Blue.